0: Three Season, a pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication.
1: Hello, and welcome to Three Season Pod from Provision Advisors, where we give you insights and analysis on the day's hot topics and trends. There's plenty to cover this week as we evaluate coverage and reaction to COVID-19 as states transition out of mandatory stay-at-home orders. What can you expect from where you live, and how will life be different? On air today, we'll speak with Naval Academy graduate and Annapolis small business owner, Jerry Donahoe, as he shares his perspective on how the shutdown is affecting local businesses in the area. We'll also get his take on some of the news coming out of the academy as leadership feels pressure to change certain traditions on campus. And we're looking forward to that discussion. So let's start the show and go around the table. We've seen a few important news items transpire already this week. Chris, I'm going to start with you. What stuck out to you in your rearview mirror?
0: It's hard to pick another topic that has stood out more over the last week for me than the the Navy's handling of the Theodore Roosevelt, their handling of the USS Kidd, which was the second ship to really gain national and international prominence for its handling of COVID-19. And then how just Navy has not been able to take the adversity that they faced from TR and learn from it and demonstrate how they're improving the process for sailors and they're improving the process for the ships they have underway day in and day out there seems like there's another issue in which the navy is unable to get on the the right side of it either drags them back into the crozier mess it either Um, highlights their inability to handle COVID-19 outbreak in the fleet, or it just demonstrates how out of touch Navy leadership is with their immediate boss and the Secretary of Defense, or with their sailors, the audience writ writ large. And so when you look at that, or you try to drill down to to learn from it, or even to be able to advise uh, mentors and friends, it's hard to tell at least tactically by what they're saying and what they're putting out, who's to blame or what the holdup is. I would say this, just, just to be able to kind of, you know, we've highlighted the issue and now kind of to move, move on. Mm-hmm. Whether this is the Navy or whether it's any other organization, there's a certain reality that you're not going to be able to change. So in the case of the Navy, you're not going to be able to change the political and communication limitations that a president like Donald Trump applies to the larger organization. What do I mean by that? You're always gonna run the risk of that zinger tweet. You're always gonna run the risk of having what you did called out on the national news or in the uh, in the daily press conference or you know bi-weekly press conference or whatever they're doing now. But you can't that you can't let that create paralysis within your leadership and communication efforts. And so yeah, you may have to coordinate several times. What you're going to say and when you're going to say it on breaking news or news that is of particular interest to the president. But there is basic information and basic lines of effort that the Navy does day in and day out that they appear to be unable or unwilling to communicate. There's a lot of great stuff going on, and um, they need to aggressively push that information. And I think people will begin to focus more on the neutral or positive stuff, than simply on the issues that are causing the Navy difficulty. So that's what I've been watching and thinking about over the last week.
2: Let me ask you a quick question. So you referenced the Zinger tweet and and the possible fear of fire and brimstone raining down from above. It's too simple of a question to say, where do you assign more of the blame? But I'll ask the simple question, which is, is it the caustic, Divisive leadership at the top that you referenced uh, directly and indirectly, with the with the mean spirited Donald Trump tweet at you, uh, is that more the cause or the fault here, or is it the malleability of Navy leadership there? As you get from the strategic level to the operational level, are they not, you know, standing up for their identity enough? Like, it, who's fault? Who's at fault? Is it the
0: chicken or the egg? I, I guess, I'd be interested in your take there i think it's too easy to blame everything on president trump there are certainly enough that you can say is a result of president trump's leadership style or communication style or whatever i i think that for the navy and and again for any organization you've got to know what you believe in and you've got to lead based on what you believe in and you've got to communicate based on what you believe in and what you believe you stand for either as a brand or as a service in the military or, or as an individual, whatever. It's unclear to me right now that the Navy really knows what they believe in and what's important to them.
2: It it is too easy. I I, I've done it a few times on this pod to lay everything on, on Donald Trump, but I also know that the Navy is getting smacked around for transparency too. And the, The decision to stop publishing uh, flag officer assignments or flag officer selections on defense.gov, which is like a completely small deal. But to some people, they want to know where flag officers are going for myriad reasons. And and that decision to stop doing that was independent, at least I believe, of, of Donald Trump and and thus emblematic of something that is not caused by Donald Trump, but merely Caught up with Donald Trump's caustic leadership. You've got almost a perfect storm of, of bad leadership, caustic leadership, fear of death by tweet, and then you've got this lack of transparency. And instead of running like the thirty-four power between the center and the left guard, or the thirty-three power between the center and the right guard, yeah, the the Navy I've found either through its tweets or through its actions or inactions are too busy trying to run flea flickers. uh, None of which has really. Uh, communicating with, with their sailors about what they're doing, why they're doing it, why they're going to be safe during COVID. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're
1: missing the mark. One of the words you, when you first brought this subject up uh, you ended uh, what you were speaking, uh, speaking about with the word focus. And I think you you saw one of my reactions to the, the uh, report on the widening probe uh, on the Roosevelt and i go back to focus what your audience is focused on and again just sort of you know trumpeting what you were saying about widening the message uh the the broader message about what uh you know what our great navy is capable of and what we're doing out there in the fleet you can't get away from the important news items that uh this virus this pandemic is doing uh to to all of us in terms of our attention but you can also you know you you can share uh, more in totality uh, what's going on. Um, And in the absence of that, uh, people are going to to take what's given. And and what happens is, from what I've seen is, you're going to get reporters out there, people that you actually would prefer to have on your side that look at you from a more respected and credible source um, and they're going to read between the lines um, and giving their perspective on, on what they see. And I think that's what we're beginning to see from, from some folks out there covering, uh, you know, covering the Navy. Uh, and that's very unfortunate because you're you just you're fighting an uphill battle uh, unnecessarily, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you got to know the environment. We've talked about that on this pod. Um, so know how your actions and statements fit into a larger environment or a larger narrative. Telegraph your punch to the audiences um, or influencers that matter. I think in this case, on the issues that you guys have brought up, not only do sailors, families, and folks on the Hill matter, but in this case, the media matters. So if you're surprising the media, if you're making their job harder, don't be surprised um, if you don't get treated uh, as nicely as maybe you would have if you would have taken the time to provide context and help them figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Whether they agree or don't, don't agree. Um, That context is uh, is very important, and again, this is not rocket science. I mean, there there are going to be times when your company, your organization, you know, are you're able to talk, you're not able to talk. But I think it's just that misunderstanding of what they believe in or the appearance of that that um, that that I find troubling. Again, we've seen it with companies that have struggled. And I think once they find that North Star and once they understand what they believe in and, and gear their leadership and their communication to that,
1: I think things will get a lot better. Indeed. John, over to you. What did you see back there?
2: Yeah, I'll finish off Chris's thought by saying two weeks ago, Mike Ritchie said it perfectly that your, your actions and your words produce clarity. Um, I don't think that clarity exists. And, and that sort of breaks my heart as the old naval officer uh, like you guys to watch that happen. So, only. In this, the greatest or worst pandemic in our history, can we release footage of likely UFOs and have me completely sweep that under the carpet and say, all I want to talk about is the NFL draft? (laughs) UFOs? No, that shit doesn't bother me. Uh, (laughs) extra terrestrial life? No. Uh, I'd like to talk about players getting drafted into a sport that's not getting played and might not get played this year. (laughs) Um, So... I thought it was really neat how the NFL did the draft. I, I was skeptical. I was um, ready to slam them. I was ready for technical difficulties, old school sailor phone delays with the, with the audio. Roger Goodell acting like a dunce. Um, and really all we got is a little bit of the dunce stuff as an organization looking out for its brand.
1: An organization
2: trying to communicate with its fans I thought they did a really good job I was moved by Peyton Manning's intro uh, I know that the three of us are going back and forth a little bit that night we had some friends like oh my god stop with the melodrama just pick the players and let's get out of here I actually was looking for more of those heartfelt messages which I thought the NFL delivered and I thought that they did it very well um, I won't break down the picks not really important uh, for the sake of this podcast but a good lesson for people out there in the COVID pandemic and after the COVID pandemic uh, about taking, taking the the defense at the line of scrimmage, calling an audible and being able to um, adjust your play and play it well. And I thought that they did it very well from the intro all the way to the end. You know, it's always, it's always a grind, the NFL draft three, three days. Uh, but they really, I, I thought it was, perfect i can't think of anything to criticize them for and and for that i think that they are uh they are the victors uh close second place on the victory stand i hate to say it for christmas sake the dallas cowboys for getting cd lamb all the way down at 17 but uh that's what i saw and i thought the nfl did a good job
1: as i watched and i and i i can't it it couldn't hold my attention uh, just for the, the length of the draft. It, it did get a little too, too late for me. But um, in going back and, and looking at some of the highlights, um, I think what I was drawn to, or, or maybe, and I, I don't think I'm alone is, is perhaps a bit of the voyeurism of it. So you're, you're looking at people in their homes. I, the, I was looking at um, CBS Sunday morning. I believe it was, I guess it was two weeks ago. And they were breaking down the whole, uh, what we're seeing more and more of as we do this video conferencing. Um, what's in the background? And, and what the background says about you? Uh, so we were, you know, we were, you know, bought into these people's homes uh, and able to, to experience sort of the environment they're, they're in uh, and the reactions of family members. So there were some rather comedic moments. Um, that 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 told a story and uh, and continued to tell a story twenty four and forty eight hours after, um, and I think that just added to it, you know, the, that sort of um, the enjoyment of 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 the draft, uh, you know, as as seen through uh, through that premise through that medium. So yeah, I, I was uh, you you have to give credit to the NFL for taking uh, a situation that we've never seen before and, and definitely making the most of it. Great one of the things that got my attention um, was and I, well, let me just say this, the White House press briefings. Um, I am, cons- <laughs> I would say concerned uh, by what they have evolved into. We, you know, we went for this long stretch of time where the White House press briefings had disappeared. And now with the, uh, the onset of this pan- uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, to see, you know, uh, regularly scheduled programming uh, on, on the White House press briefings every day. Uh, but to have arrived at a point where uh, journalists continue to be attacked uh, in those White House press briefings, and look, I know I shouldn't be surprised, like this is, you know, what, what have I been watching uh, for the past, you know, couple of years uh, w- with this president. But the statement about why, why should I come up and give a press briefing if all I'm going to get is hostile questions? Um, that, that was something that gave me pause. Um, and, and just sort of looking at, at how, we, how we operate. And I know like as communication professionals, uh, we, we, we look at this landscape, it's ever changing. I know we're in uncharted territory. Um, but if what worries me and I, and I'm sure you all have have a take on this as well, is how much of the populace gets to a place of agreement to say, "Well, if the news isn't the way I want it, or why do these journalists um hold leadership accountable if that's being questioned uh, day in and day out i I worry you know just about um, certain fabrics of how we do business. Uh, For well, drastically change forever. Change, um, and and to me, looking at the uh, at the fourth estate, uh, I find it very troubling. So uh, again, just one of the things that that stood out to me uh, as I, as I look back on the week.
2: Well, he's changed the dynamic forever, right? Um, that these are the new lines in the sand that previously people never thought would get crossed, and now they're crossed. Um, you know, we could go on forever, uh, but I'll, I'll just I'll maybe steal a little bit from Chris's thunder here. Chris and I were talking earlier in the week. I can't remember if it was during a non-social distancing golf round or just in a conversation that, you know, the the hypothesis was: what happens if all of these reporters who ask these questions, like Reed from um, from CBS or or the much ballyhooed interactions between Jim Acosta and the president, what what happens if all of them just sit there? and take notes and just don't ask questions because Chris, I think adequately, um, you know, postulated it when we were talking that it's, it's the, it is the angry or the probing question that really pisses him off and not necessarily pisses him off, but gets his dander up. Like all of a sudden he's like, good. Now I get to call this person fake news. I get to interrupt them. I get to say tremendous 700 times. Like, that is, and, and again, here's my shameless plug for Pod Save America. It's what they've usually said on Pod Save America, too, is why? Why ask him questions when you just know it's going to devolve into this juvenile shouting match? My dad, as a single parent, was a genius. When we would argue, it would become, when I was a teenager, uh, it would become a one-way conversation. And not like the old-school Irish parenting one-way conversation that ended with, like, the wrench or the belt. Yeah, I'll take the wrench because f him. That's why, um, Goodwill Hunting reference right there. But no, my dad would my dad would simply sit in his chair in the living room and he'd ignore me, like I'd be sniping at him and complaining as a hormone driven teenager, complaining about not being able to go out or complaining about the lack of extension of my curfew. And he would just say, "Hey, I already I already told you what the dealio was, and I am not responding to you." And it would drive me effing nuts. And I think if reporters did the same thing, if they took the air out of Trump's like, confrontational balloon, um, that, that you truly might see him, not that I want this, I still believe in our institutions, but you might see him kind of buckle a little bit, like, what do I do? Because I think he gets off on the uh, confrontation. Chris?
0: This is a two-way relationship, right? I mean, it's just like in a dysfunctional marriage, Um, no matter how big a jerk the one um, partner is, um, the other partner plays a role by either enabling um, or um, putting up with uh, the bad behavior. I, in that regard, hold the White House press corps responsible. I think if they adjusted their behavior uh, along the lines of what john mentioned the the president wouldn't be able to achieve what he wants to achieve and therefore would either stop doing them which is a change of behavior or, or perhaps would change the tone it really does highlight how media interaction no matter how great the journalist is unfortunately is driven by business right so for the same reason the president wants there to be a hyperbolic exchange between him and a reporter and whether that's because he can browbeat or whether he can praise a, a right-leaning outlet or whether he can tell somebody that they're fake news or you know to be quiet or whatever i mean you know throwing meat to his base but i think the the press and the, the media outlets equally enjoy being bullied and yelled at, so that they can use those clips, or they can use their reporter standing up to the president as a way of gaining notoriety with their audience. So I, I view That's the whole thing as yeah. I view the whole thing as a farce. Um, I view the whole thing as a um, a waste of time and a real lost effort especially in the beginning of the crisis, where there was a real opportunity to focus on medical issues, and to try to force the president to deliver practical information. Um, I read Soledad O'Brien, Soledad O'Brien tweet, who has become a media and communication critic who said, hey, look, if the if the outlets were interested in forcing the president to put out the right information, they wouldn't send their political reporters, they would send their medical reporters, because this isn't a political issue, it's a a
1: medical Mm, issue, so. mm, um, Good point, good point. I think until
0: both sides um, uh, agree that there needs to be change, there's not gonna be change.
1: The
2: whole thing is like watching Sleeping With The Enemy. Um, I've I've succeeded in having a "Goodwill hunting and Sleeping With The Enemy reference in this pod. But like, you just, the press corps is Julia Roberts and you're watching this train wreck and you're like, when will Julia Roberts run away and get away from yeah, you know, the abusive husband in this case, Donald Trump. I find myself watching it and being interested in it. And and to your point, he plays the game perfectly. I have to tip my cap to the president and say that he knows how to he knows how to needle them. He knows how to get them upset. He knows how to cut them off. He knows how to call them fake news. He's playing his game on his home field and he's winning. The only way the press can can possibly seize some of that power back, not that this is power play, is to stop stop feeding the beast.
1: We're going to leave it right there. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. Great segment. Well, folks, we've been fortunate to bring you some very special guests to Three Season in a Pod so our listeners can get a break from each of our voices. We're joined today by Mr. Jerry Donahoe, Naval Academy graduate and small business owner in historic Annapolis, Maryland. Jerry, I want to thank you for coming on the show today.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, let's jump right in here and look at what's affecting most all of us in some form or fashion. Uh, what's been your reaction to COVID-19 as a small business owner?
3: First of all, we're thankful to be one of the businesses that are deemed essential. We're thankful to be open. I mean, I, I truly sympathize with those uh, who cannot operate. We've changed our operations, obviously, uh, the way we conduct our business, uh, but we've, we're we one of the few that still allow folks in the store. So we've got to change the way we operate, you know, by by state uh, rule now, we have to uh, wear our face masks. We have to require everybody who steps in our, our store wear face masks as well. And uh, but we've we've kind of shifted the business model to mostly doing curbside pickup and, and a ton of delivery business, which uh, fortunately we were one of the few stores that already had that service in place. And then we've had to expand it greatly. We changed the way we're doing business, but we're thankful to be essential and open.
1: Is there any way in which you have communicated with your customers? Um, you know, just based on on some of those topics that you brought up, uh, did you feel the need to, you know, go go an extra step uh, in terms of how you conduct business?
3: We have an email list. We send a, a once a week email out to our customers who opt into it. It's actually part of the discount program in the store, and so you know we reach about ten thousand people a week through that through our weekly email. We communicated our new policies through that email once a week. And uh, we've made some Facebook posts. And also the phone's just been ringing off the hook. Man, we have only got two phone lines in the store and they've been ringing constantly, both asking for how we operate and, and how they can do business with us. And you know, my wife, Jenna, spent the last week and a half or so literally putting probably 90% of our inventory into a PDF. With pricing and and we hope to publish that tomorrow um, you know so hey we're communicating out there it's very difficult to call a store with you know, literally thousands of, of different products in the store and what do you have so it's hard for us to walk customers through that and that's you know, it's really our shortcoming so you know we're hoping this uh, this file we're going to put out on our website's going to change that but just you know, answering the phone, weekly email blasts, and, and occasional Facebook posts is, is how we've been communicating.
2: So, Jerry, uh, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning. Uh, you're a 94 uh, Naval Academy graduate, as is your wife, Jen. Uh, you've owned Mills, which, you know, was before and now the probably the most popular liquor store in downtown Annapolis for, what, now nine years? Is it 10? uh we' about eight about eight and a half we've both eight and a half okay yeah um so you know obviously, going into being a small business owner, you were armed, I would believe with your experience as a naval academy graduate when you graduated from the naval Academy, you were a surface warfare officer uh before getting out and then starting your own kind of defense contracting business first, but is there anything we've talked on this pod about you know the even in the first segment, we were talking about the the communication and leadership traits of the very highest levels of the chain of command with the president. But uh, two weeks ago, we had Larry Hogan's director of communications, Mike Ritchie on here. And uh, I'd be interested in your take, you know, as someone who has led and communicated in uniform and out of uniform before, how, how have you viewed the communication from your elected officials from Hogan to County Executive Stuart Pittman to Annapolis Mayor Gavin Buckley. Uh, how have you evaluated that so far?
0: Um
3: well, you know, I have to admit that I, I do watch a lot of news, <laughs> including political news. And um, you know, I, I have great respect for Governor Hogan and and um, you know, I, I believe he's doing a great job. You know, and you know, I, I don't like um I don't like to see the constant criticism of the administration and, and you know, I think he's, he, I think he's jumped on that a little bit, which has disappointed me. I'm mean, at, you know, when, when you need criticism, get it. I get that, but you know, this is such a difficult time in our country and in the world, you know, it's just been a lot of pot shots back and forth and, and I don't like seeing that. Um, and I mean, I think governor Hogan plays both sides of the fence pretty well. He, let's face it. He's a, Republican governor in a very Democratic state. And, you know, perhaps that plays to his base a little bit that, to be critical of Trump here and there. Um, you know, I, I do get Gavin's, you know, communications from the city. You know, we have an older woman in our, you know, the, where the store is located in Ward 1, and, and she does communicate through email. Uh, I haven't really seen anything from from the county. It's interesting talking about communication from the from the governor, because you know that the monday where he closed down bars and restaurants we saw sheer panic buying in here and we just were not ready for it <laughs> and i don't think a lot of people were and then the next monday he closed down all non essential businesses we saw another rush and you know and you know we i was actually watching the facebook feed in the store when it was going because people started calling us saying oh you're going to get shut down you're going to get shut down I was like i'm not believing it because you know, we have a we have a lobby that um you know supports it's uh it's the Maryland Alcohol Beverage Retailers Association. There's one at the county level and there's one at the state level. And we were getting great communication from them. We have a lobbyist named Steve Wise and and he sent out an email and said, Hey, look, you know, uh we've been in touch with the Hogan administration. They don't have any intention of, of shutting down package stores. And so, you know, after I saw that email. Yeah, I, I took that to be pretty solid communication and people will call us and say, Oh no, I'm hearing I mean, I I'll give you an example. I've got a customer who's, you know, regular customer who walks down the street, buys a bottle of Pino Grigio a couple of times a week and and she's like, Well, I was getting my hair done the other day and there's a woman who works at the Statehouse said they're shutting down all liquor stores on Monday, you know. So the the rumor mill was was running rampant so I'll ask a quick follow-up before I pitch it to
2: Chris um, this is less of a communication question but more of you know my, my dad when I was growing up always used to say like find yourself a job in a recession-proof business yeah. and he'd rattle off like recession-proof businesses like hey medical care everyone always needs medical care um, you know the, the status of the economy does nothing to affect that and and ironically and 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 only the way that Jack Schofield could do it, his very second example was always booze. You'd be like, oh, booze is a recession-proof business. I guess for those who don't know, how has COVID affected the industry writ large, in your opinion? And then how have you done business-wise? I think you've already intimated that it's going well, but you know, I, I assume that your march this year was a little different than, than marches in the past.
3: Our march was the best one we've ever had. And April is looking that way too. Now, March is my second worst month of the year. I mean, my business, after we bought the business, we, we increased it quite a bit and it kind of leveled off. And I think, you know, what, it's kind of, we are where we are type of thing. You figure out how you can grow your business. But, um, you know, I think it's kind of leveled off. But, but the, the increases we've seen in March and April were, were substantial. Commissioning weeks next month. Well, not anymore, and and you know, May is May is our second or third month or best month of the year, and I, I imagine we're going to be down. I mean, I don't know for sure, but you know, all those people that come into town and, and have big parties, you know, a lot of commissioning week families are, are having house parties, they're not going out to eat at restaurants or drinking at bars. So, um, I'm, I worry that I'm going to see a downtick in May, but you know, we'll, we'll see how the summer goes. I'm hoping. You know, Paul Jacobs from the boat shows came in uh, a couple days ago. You know, he had to cancel his April show and, and, you know, he probably gonna be in big trouble if he's got to cancel this
0: October. I've got two questions. One is um, kind of your communication and your interaction with other businesses in Annapolis. Um, I mean, you guys are a, are a staple in the community. What, um, what's the business communication, the business to business uh, communication been like and, how are businesses that are essential um, helping or communicating with those that are struggling?
3: Um, You know, we haven't, to be honest, haven't communicated
0: a lot with
3: other folks. I mean, their, their stores are shut and they're closed and um, you know, the Monza's next door, I think they've taken this opportunity to do some renovations inside. Um, You know, we've, Zachary's was trying to help us. I mean, Zachary's, I've, They had a, which I don't know if you know, is a pretty well-known jewelry store down here. And Steve Samaras is, you know, he's one of the people I look up to in the business community here. And and he's been president of the Downtown Business Partnership. And he really does a lot with the community. I think he's trying to increase his communication around, you know, they're they're trying to, um, they reached out to us and they were going to get, they gave a, a necklace away one of the people who would call and get a booze delivery from us i mean they're trying to help us even though we're up and and sure they're down but i mean i i appreciate the effort and now you know we're we're going to try to do a promotion with them like if you buy this you know whatever piece of jewelry from zachary's that comes with a wine and you know we're going to give them for that so as far as we go where there's not a lot of cross connect with other businesses because they're just not here and you know Mm -hmm. restaurants as you know them and they buy their you know there's stuff from the wholesalers, just like we do. And yeah, you know, I know a few of the businesses on Main Street have tried to you know try the the takeout option. I mean, I've ordered lunches and dinners from the folks down here, try to bring lunch in for my staff just to just to support these restaurants to give them some sort of revenue. Um but other than that, you know they they're just their doors are closed.
0: You mentioned at the beginning that liquor stores were, Seen as as essential in, in Maryland, in Virginia and Pennsylvania, I mean the surrounding states around here, I mean there are a lot of antiquated uh, prior to this, there were a lot of antiquated rules and uh, and laws on the books for how and when and the mechanics of purchasing alcohol. Um, and a lot of that has um, has been streamlined, some for health reasons, some for uh, just ease of consumer and ease of business. Are you hopeful that coming out of this, um, some of those stick around uh, to make uh, maybe life a little bit easier for the consumer and for the the businesses that, um, you know, whether it's restaurants that are able to sell takeout cocktails, or whether it's you guys doing a curbside or deliveries, what, what's your take on maybe some of the long-term changes that may come out of this?
3: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring up the, you know, other states in that. I, I'm, I'm amazed that. How antiquated, this, just this business in general. Is. And, and there are things that date back prohibition that haven't been changed. Now, some of those, one of those things is, is uh, what really influenced me to get into this business is how Maryland runs their liquor laws, right? So you can't sell beer and wine in grocery stores. And technically, you can have one license in the state, right? So Total Wine is, I don't know if you know this, but it's the largest alcohol retailer in the country. I'm talking in the neighborhood of $3 billion annually, and it's actually owned by two Maryland brothers, uh, the Trone brothers, T-R-O-N-E, and one of them is a United States congressman from Montgomery County, and, you know, he spent $15 million of his own money, he actually lost last time around, and he, he won it this time around, but, um, so there's two total wines in the state of Maryland, and there's one in one brother's name and there's one of the licenses in each brother's name. And they've been try. they try every year to change the liquor laws in the state. So do those grocery stores. So, um, you know, as antiquated as that is, I like it cause it protects me, you know? So, and, and not so much me. Um, I, and, and we, when we bought this store, we were told within five years of laws here will change. Well, we're on year eight and that didn't even come up this year. So we have a very strong lobby and and we're all a bunch of mom and pop stores across the state and we go meet with our legislators every year and tell them of the importance of keeping the one license law in place. Now, some consumers might not like it, but, you know, if you don't have what we have, you'll go to the kind of like the Walmart model where you're, you have a narrow number of SKUs, they discount, you know, the crap out of them and that, you know, they, they buy in so much bulk. And then the little guys can't compete in that environment. Right. So, you know, if the Safeway gets beer and wine in their store, that mom and pop next door to that Safeway, which is all around the state, they're going to go out of business. And there's a lot of people that we employ. And there's, I, you know, in my opinion, we pay much better than the big guys. And we give back to our community. You know, we, we support 30 charities a year through Mills. Um, we get over 100 requests a year. So then all these mom and pops around the state are supporting their communities. And I think they're paying, they're paying their folks better and they're paying better their better benefits. And so I think, you know, I'm a I'm a conservative Republican, you know, but I'm I'm for this regulation in this industry selfishly, but I, I see the value in it. We're hoping that people can enjoy what our inventory and our pricing simply by picking up the phone. Tomorrow we're gonna have a text option. You can text the store your order, and it shows up on your doorstep. So we're hoping we can capture those people and you know that they can enjoy the convenience of of how we're operating now. We're hoping that carries forward.
1: there's been some talk and look you're you're a naval academy graduate uh so I know you hold on to to traditions there um on the on the campus um if plebes uh, are are told that there will be no more climbing of Herndon, what say you
3: <laughs> well uh you know i I, I, I don't know, I so saw John's quote that he said, then you're not truly, uh, you know, a youngster if you're not Climb Herndon. Um, you know, I, I I, I hope they come back and do it at some point. Um, I mean, look, this class is certainly going to be known as one of the classes with the easiest plebe years ever, right? They they only had <laughs> half a year. right? So uh, I wouldn't want to pile on those guys anymore. <laughs> They're already going to, you know, get piled on for that you know they weren't here. You know, we, we sponsor a couple of mids one of them uh, is a firstie, and he's from phoenix and he studied abroad his first semester and so he's, he might uh, he was in chile and he he may have uh may have set a record for the fewest days on the yard as a first class in ship i feel incredibly bad for the graduating seniors um you know having having gone through that place for four years and not be able to have your commissioning week is just is truly, you know, I don't want to, tragedy might be too much to say, but I mean, these these people are, are heartbroken and I I greatly
1: sympathize with them. Thank you, Jerry, really appreciate it. The location is Mills Fine Wine and Spirits. We're talking with Jerry Donahoe. Uh, really want to thank you for uh, taking some time to speak with us today uh, and and really wishing you a, a lot of continued success as a popular business here in Annapolis, as you face face what we're all dealing with here. Uh, with COVID-19. And we just really appreciate you coming on the show today.
3: Hey, thank you three for having me. Uh, I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts and uh, I hope you guys all stay safe.
1: Definitely. We truly appreciate it. It is time to look out on the horizon. John, what do you see in the week ahead?
2: I'll close with COVID and you know it should warm your heart, Bashan, to see hospital ships
1: quietly
2: <laughs> weighing anchor and heading back home yeah, it, it, we we make fun of Bashan for having you know the most underway days on a hospital ship, probably of any U.S. sailor. You know, in lieu of having other proof, I'm just going to establish that as fact. But um, I thought it was it it didn't receive a lot of news coverage. It's still not receiving a lot of news coverage. But the the underutilization of the two hospital ships, the uh, the Mercy in L.A. and and Comfort in New York City. Yeah, they weren't going to see COVID patients. They were going to see COVID patients. Then there were not enough patients. And truth be told, I started following all the Twitter accounts for them and watching the videos that the HM threes were putting up. and And I thought it was neat. The Navy was trying to personalize this expeditionary uh, capability that they had surged to each coast. and And then for one reason or another, and it still hasn't really been. Explained very well, not in the echo chambers I listened to, as to why they weren't needed anymore. Um, you know, the, the, the death rates are going up, the incident rates are flattening to some degree, depending on where you're looking in the country. So, on the horizon, I'm interested to see uh, as these ships come home, how will they be welcomed home? You know, comfort had that much ballyhooed send off with. President Trump on the pier in Norfolk, um, you know, was it worth it? How much did it cost? A, a lot of these stories have yet to be written. Um, and, and I think somewhere out there, the other shoe to drop on the whole hospital ship thing will be whose idea was this? Why were they needed? Did the local uh, leadership in LA and New York say they needed them? How much did it cost the taxpayer to arm these hospital ships with reservists and doctors and all of this to send them up there so they could sit on their ass and really not do anything and then be sent home early. Um, I- I'm going to be watching that because uh, I think the Navy, you know, finishing how we started, I think the Navy has a challenge in how they communicate this down the road. Uh, and I hope they communicate it well. But I'll end by saying uh, really, really tipping of the cap and proud of the men and women who, who left home, left their loved ones to deal with COVID pandemic and quarantine all by themselves so that they could go out and do their duty, whether that's on a hospital ship or at a FOB in Afghanistan. Um, they, they did their duty. I, I applaud them. I thank them for what they did. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, how the story is told about whether they were needed or not.
1: Yeah, John, uh, Chris and I actually had, we had an unfinished conversation about this uh, as I believe it was the comfort was, was I guess, in, in New York, maybe just a couple of days at, at that point of the conversation. Um, and it's, I've said this before, it's kind of deja vu all over again. I, I know exactly why. <laughs> I, I know the answer uh, to that question you're asking. Um, and it's not. I don't suspect it's not gonna get much traction. Um, It's the same thing that happened to us down in New Orleans after Katrina, uh, when we found uh, Lieutenant General, I had an an audience with Lieutenant General Honore, Russell Honore on board the Comfort while we were down there um, uh, on the Mississippi. And you, you essentially have an asset that gets pushed rather than pulled to an area. Um, in I mean, look, those, those hospital ships, the, the the corpsmen on board, the doctors and nurses on board, uh, the uh, military sea lift command personnel on board do spectacular work. Um, there's, there's no denying that. Uh, there are certain uh, economic pieces at play, both on the side of uh, the military sea lift command, as well as the areas in which they go, specifically when we're talking about the United States. Um, that, that hinder the ability for these ships and the crew to do the work that they're capable of. Uh, it's a discussion we can have for another day. Uh, just know that it's, again, when, it, when it, you know, follow the money or, or, or lack thereof, um, but that's why an asset like that at an operating cost of a little over a million dollars a day uh, can become a bit of a burden. Uh, and that's just, that's just one aspect of it, so again, a conversation for another day um, chris yeah, I'd like to finish up on this, and then i'll
0: I'll give you my on the horizon sure um, sure i'm john i'm not sure that um I, I i agree that it this was a bit of a um you know round peg in a square hole uh and the fact that it always is is troubling um I would love rather than scrutinize you know how much was we'll spent or um, what they did or didn't do. Uh, I'd like to, I really hope that the Navy and, you know, maybe if it's New York or any other city on the East coast. And then some of the major cities on the West coast, I'd love to see them try to figure out how could you better use, whether it's the ship or whether it's the people, um, this requirement is not going to go away. Right. I mean, Americans pay a lot of money for the military um, and largely the military is supposed to be used overseas, except in times of, you know, extreme duress, hurricane, uh, pandemic, whatever. Um, And so I'd love to see people really take this opportunity and say, okay, how could we make this work better the next time so that we don't have to keep relearning uh, these lessons over and over again? Um now to uh you know my on the horizon. Um and it's gonna sound like I'm uh being cranky or grumpy um after you know sort of uh ragging on the navy at the beginning. Um but my on the horizon is um I wanna see how people in uniform and out of uniform take um the blue angels and thunderbirds appreciation tour that they're doing. Uh, And if I couch that incorrectly, I apologize, not not trying to be a a wise guy or be pejorative. But I mean, this idea that the two flight demonstration teams, one for the Navy, one for the Air Force, are going around the country and doing um, flyovers um, traditionally uh, used for like football games or baseball games or whatever, as a way of saying thank you to people for either social distancing or on the high end saying thank you to, to medical professionals. Um, And I think that the, um, I think the intent is pure, but it just feels odd to me. Um, It feels ham-fisted and misplaced. Uh, I would rather either A, I'd rather that attention go to the people that were really on the front lines of this. And I think in this case, the military largely wasn't, um, or I would rather just the military not it just feels like we're kind of insinuating ourselves into a pep rally that maybe shouldn't be held yet. Um, I, I I don't know. Am I, am I being cranky or is there something there? No, I mean, there were
2: stories this morning that, you know, amidst COVID, uh, and, and we're all nerds who still, you know, read clips and, and track military stories and, and, you know, the military should, they should see the the storm clouds you know pink sky morning sailor's warning uh, those are storm clouds out there for them when it comes to uh future um ndaas future defense budgets future presbuds that the the uh financial concerns of this country which you know you heard a little bit on the you know, the very tactical level in in Annapolis from a small business owner today, that if I'm the military and I'm listening to some of the warning shots being fired by elected officials on the House Armed Services Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee, if there are going to be tough cuts that happen in the future, I believe it's going to happen from the military. And so how do you show that you're still needed? And I knew exactly where you were going, Bashan. I mean, I came out and visited you on the hospital ship in Haiti. And I remember thinking like, why are we sending a hospital ship to Haiti and and again a lot of people say that it's more of a symbolic gesture to see that white hull with the red cross on it you know that it assuages fears and makes people feel calm and that capability is there for you if you need it you might not need it but it's more of like a psyops thing more than anything i don't know if i agree with it but in in the end i i, I I don't, I've always been someone who believes that you should just shut down the Blue Angels. I've never believed we needed them. I think the Blue Angels demonstration team came uh, around at a time when um, when you needed recruiting. Um, I don't know if you need that recruiting now, particularly as the force might be getting smaller in the future. Um, you know, and, and usually when people start cutting the military, they look to demo teams, Comrel, bands. Um, and so I... I I'm with you. I, I don't like the idea of us flight demoing team all over the country. Um, you know, it'll be here in Annapolis on Saturday. Super pumped about it. Yay! Uh, I, I just I don't see the I don't see the utility of it.
0: I bash before you go. I yeah, I no, do no. hope that I do hope that if people listening disagree, they'll they'll send us a note. Um, and for me, just to clarify, it's not necessarily about the money. Um, because, I mean, in, I mean, we're, shit, the government is making it rain with the amount of money that they're throwing at this problem. Um, some of it in a good way, some of it in a not so good way. I'm more um, concerned that, you know, for, for 20 years, the 20 years that we've been at war, I mean, the military has really enjoyed an increased level of respect and attention from the American people. And I really feel like that if this is a war, or if this is a conflict or whatever, however you would cast this um, crisis on American society, I feel like it's somebody else's turn to get the praise and the thank you. And I, I think on one hand, you would argue that that's what the military is trying to do. I don't know that I agree with that. And so that's, I want to see how all, that, how all that plays out. And I would encourage people if they have a different view than we do to, to share that with
2: and then I'll end by saying, Bashan did a great job with it. But uh, again, shameless plug for a really good veteran-owned small business in Annapolis Mills, uh, right there at City Dock. Um, great people, two veteran owners, uh, veterans on the staff, uh, taking care of people. You know, mission essential. And uh, and deep down, I'll, I'll say it uh, unabashedly: uh, Jerry Donahoe and and his wife uh, Jen and the entire staff. They're just some of the greatest people around. Um, so, uh, again, I want to thank him for coming on and, and dropping some knowledge on us. Bash,
1: good stuff. Thanks, gents. Uh, listen, as we look uh, forward to uh, to this week ahead. Uh, tomorrow starts the first of May. Uh, today we're seeing the uh, the ending of some various uh, mandatory stay-at-home orders, uh, depending on what state you are you are living in. Uh, so I am look. I, I'm definitely looking at. Ah, uh, what transpires? Uh, how people react? How you know are people uh, eager to go out uh, into the uh, into the public domain uh, and conduct business as usual? What uh, precautions are they going to take? or do we find people are just, you know, hey, look, I, I've had enough of staying at home. Uh, I'm ready to get back to business as usual. So, Uh, That's top of mind for me. Uh, I I am definitely concerned, uh, concerned just as a citizen, uh, looking at numbers, looking at things that have happened in my personal life. Uh, I do not look at this as a hoax or a made up story. Uh, I am concerned for people's well-being and welfare. Uh, I would suggest that people just take uh, whatever precautions uh, they need to take and uh, and consider the community around them.
0: I absolutely don't believe people are going to do that. (laughs) Um, I mean, you can feel a, um, I'm I'm looking on Twitter at a video of the empty Vegas strip. Um, You can feel a momentum building, right? When, uh, I mean, it's almost like, you know, a starter's gun is about to go off. And I I think people are going to, they're going to rush out. Um, and I really, I really am worried about a resurgence of the levels of infection and death that we saw on the left side of the curve versus what we hope now is the right side of the curve. So yeah, I, I hope this. I hope people will take your advice, John.
2: So I think this weekend will be a really interesting thing to watch down in Ocean City is to see how many people have just had it being in their homes. It's finally nice, it's not downpouring. And so watching what people do this weekend, that might be the litmus test for how the next few weeks go.
1: Well, we're going to definitely um, watch uh, from a safe distance and, and hope for the best. We want to thank you for listening, folks. We appreciate you joining in on the conversation. If you're looking for more information on what we've discussed here today as your business or organization considers how to navigate communicating around the coronavirus or other issues, feel free to reach out to us at provisionadvisors.net. In the meantime, we want you to be safe, be mindful, be well. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.